When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. State, everybody. Hi, Joe. Deal. Um, it's Friday morning. We're recording uh, in Dublin, and we've just heard the very, very sad news about Huey Russell, who Joe, you knew well. We both spent a great morning with him in Belfast in in March when we uh, were were launching the podcast. We we were with Huey in the. Uh, yeah. In the offices of the Irish News and his his absolute uh charisma and just huge personality came yeah. through. You you wouldn't he's the kind of person you didn't want to leave his company. Huey fought um Davy Larmer in what was given fight of the year on Bretton Murphy, the legendary Belfast photographer took a photograph at the end of the fight and Huey was covered in blood for being covered in blood as was David Lorby and Huey had won the fight and Huey's mother is weeping she's leaning through the ropes and he's uh, he's bleeding all over she's cradling her son so tenderly it, it got sports photograph of the year world sports photograph of the year and you know Huey after I um, donated the kidney, he gave me a, f- a framed, signed copy of the photograph, which is pride of place in my study in Belfast. Or I must say, heartbroken today that he's died in the way that he has. And he was training six days a week. He was, I mean, Hugh was one of those people, when you met him, he gave you the impression that he'd just been born that morning. <laughs> he did. He did. Yeah. And he went on to have a great career as a photographer. He was at news events, sports, and like he, I didn't know that. And he, he didn't had... know anybody. He didn't know anybody's names, you know. <laughs> and uh, 
and uh, in Parihini, the uh, the the uh, famous um, journalist from the north who has since retired from writing, but who was really an outstanding writer, like his uncle Seamus. And uh, Paddy was sent one day to cover an event, and he said to Hugh, "You know, make sure you get them." Um, lots of pictures of the big guy, you know. And uh, they're at the event anyway, and uh, Huey came up to Paddy and he said, look, who do you mean? It was Bill Clinton. <laughs> Huey, didn't know, Huey didn't know who he was. Paddy always told that story with great glee, and uh, so I'm so sorry for the whole Russell connection, because uh, he kept his, you know, his cancer hidden, hmm. and... Uh, I think only in the last two days, the the seriousness of it became clear. And uh, really, it's, uh, you know, you used to, when I'd be going into the courts in the morning in Lagonside in Belfast, you know, all the big trials, Davey, or, you know, he he was always there. Hmm. Um, Hughie was always there with the uh, camera. And, you know, to the great delight of the, after they'd got a few shots, I always flipped them the bird. And, you know, you thought it was hilarious. Every time I did it, again, it was like the first time I'd ever done it. <laughs> and uh, and uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry for him today. I mean, it is true. Like, uh, And we look at the wider picture of what's happening in the world now, and particularly mm. what's happening in Israel and Gaza. And uh, I mean, Ian, though we walk through the valley of death, no evil shall we fear. Uh, I mean, it's a... It's a shocking and heartbreaking thing that's happening there. I mean, I remember the great Jewish comedian, uh, Barry Cryer, who used to write Bob Monkhouse's stuff and all, and then in his later life found his own feet as a wonderful sort of stand-up comedian and appearing on panel shows. But he told a story once that um, he had decided that he would go to Jerusalem. Mm. He'd never been. And he went to the Wailing Wall, you know, where the pilgrims place their forehead against the wall and they sort of ululate, you know, they pray to, to Allah, to God. And he said it was a blistering hot day, that sort of white heat that you get in Israel. And there was a very elderly Jewish man praying in front of him. So you sort of line up like the passport, you know, there's about 10, 10 lines maybe more actually, and uh, you wait your turn. And he said it was so hot. The old man just prayed and prayed and prayed with his head against the wall and rocking back and forth. And eventually he was about to leave. And the, the elderly Jewish man stood up and said, I'm terribly sorry, my friend. He said, I'm a very, very old man. He said, and Barry said, you know, it just came out of him. It's just, he said, oh, do you come here often? <laughs> And the the elderly Jewish man said, every day, he said, I come here. He said, for 50 years, he said, I come here. And every day, he said, I pray for the same thing, peace between the Palestinian and the Jew. I might as well bang my head off the fucking wall. <laughs> no, it's um, like I I was a bit reluctant or hesitant about about doing this today because... Like, I think one of the things beyond even the atrocities and the terrible slaughter uh, by Hamas and by the Israeli 
government um, is just the I, I really reluctant to add to the sum of of ignorance and really polarizing thinking that this has brought out. And I've just been it's been such a depressing week in so many ways because uh, and this is what. One of the and it's one of the issues was one of the, one of those rare cases of actually on both sides. Like I've just been bombarded on uh, by people taking unbelievably fundamentalist positions from the beginning, from from the from not from okay, not from the beginning because we we know that even establishing the beginning is a contentious thing to do. Yeah. But from from the moment of of the Hamas attack, people celebrating it. Um, people referring to it in terms that are kind of a mixture of like Rick from the Young Ones and almost a kind of that reminds me in some ways of the kind of the the, the bloodthirstiness of neocons in America. You know, there's that terrible absence of humanity, um, and you know, and for, from from people like one of the things I. <laughs> I I was struck by was you know that if we're going to be uh, when we're dealing with maybe like one of the most intractable conflicts of of modern times, we probably shouldn't be listening to people who a few weeks ago were getting the words of zombie from the cranberries wrong, and getting worked up about that. Like this is such a terrible issue and a terrible cycle of violence that you know I I'm reluctant to kind of do anything that is adding to that ignorance. You know well, what I mean? Well, I mean, I suppose that a lot of the outside world watches this, as we do nowadays, as though it were a movie. Yeah. You know, it's not real to people and many people. Like, I mean, see, like the, the Rangers supporters are cheering for Israel, the Celtic supporters are cheering for yeah. the Palestinians. You know, and, and, uh, it's a sort of a, a a remote blood sport then. And I mean, it reminds me once I was in, I was doing basketball out in America. Very unusual country. Splendid in its way, but extraordinary and mental. Hmm. You know, it's got everything. Yeah. But one of the things that our hosts did, we'd played a game in uh, New Jersey. And our hosts, I can't remember which basketball high school it was, but they brought us to a drive-in movie, and it was the Rocky movie where he fight, fights the Russian. Mm. This was in the middle of the Cold War. Dolph Lundgren. And um, when Rocky knocked him out, I think in the rematch, Cleus went insane. I thought it was real. I mean, like, the whole place erupted. It was blood curd. I can't believe it. And I think that you are right about that. But, of course, if you can try, if you strive to get an honest perspective on it, it's a bit like the north of Ireland. You know, until people started thinking about it honestly, this is just going around and around and around. I mean, the horrendous massacre of innocents in Israel. I mean, the pictures of the cars. Hmm very very difficult to look at you know the cars at the outdoor concert yeah. riddled with bullet holes you know bodies everywhere and you know the, 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 the enormous 
human impact of that on people, families, communities that'll be there forever. I mean, at the moment in Stardust, which happened in 1981, you know, 48 young people hmm. had killed in a terrible conflagration. At the moment, in the inquest, 50 years later, the patrons, just the people who were at the disco, are given evidence. And they're all elderly people. And every single one of them, since they started giving evidence, some of them for the first time, have wept in the box at mm. the trauma of it. And, you know, to think, you multiply that by thousands, it's what's happening in Israel and Hamas. I mean, the... I mean, if you continue to pursue the bombastic line that the West is supporting, as Peter O'Warren wrote the other day, it's like a sort of a green light for genocide. I mean, the Palestinians are going to continue to be subjected to horrendous oppression. The Israeli people will never be safe. I mean, this is going to happen, and we'll just go around and around forever. And, you know, what we see now I think, which is depressingly familiar. There are many powerful people in Israel and beyond arguing for a final solution, essentially an extermination of the people of Gaza. Mm. And, uh, I mean, some of the language that has been used is extremely dangerous. And in that context, you know, it's heartening to hear Leo Varadkar this week saying, look, you know, there are international laws and they must yeah. be observed. We weep for the people of Israel. We weep for their loss, as we all do. One of the most beautiful countries in the world and beautiful people, as, as all people are. People, yeah. are. people are not animals anywhere. I mean, the Israeli defense spokesperson vowed this week that Gaza will be wiped out and reduced to a city of tents. Uh, he told Israel's Channel 13 that this territory, which is home to more than two million people, including almost a million children, will be reduced to rubble. There will be no buildings. I mean, the, the, the rear admiral of the Israeli Defense Force is one of the most powerful militaries in the world. Daniel Hagari, he said that hundreds of tons of bombs have been dropped in the Gaza Strip already, and quote, the emphasis here is on damage, not on accuracy. Israel must create an unprecedented humanitarian disaster in Gaza, and the ultimate tool is damage to the water system. I mean, and, you know, it's I, absolutely I just, before we came today, the United Nations Relief and Works Agency, who are in Gaza, announced that half of Gaza's hospitals have been destroyed, and that 60% of those killed and wounded already are children and the elderly. And they said that Gaza only has enough food and water supplies to last for 10 more days and I mean it, it's it is so shocking because we know what happened to the Jewish people mm. you know the worst sort of holocaust in history the worst I mean and you've got Tali Gottlieb of the Knesset, Israel's parliament, he's, he's calling for the Jewish state to unleash nuclear war. I urge you to do everything and use doomsday weapons fearlessly 
there must be no pity, crush them to the ground. And then as you say, you know, like it's like it's like a game here, the ghastly Arlene Foster, you know, weighing in as she does, you know, thinking that this will be a, a, a card to play against people from the Republican nationalist tradition. You know, people in the nationalist Republican tradition, you know, uh, making light, making light of the terrible atrocity that Hamas has committed. You know, they, I hope what we'll try to do today is to start looking very carefully at the facts of all of this, honestly, and to see if, in fact, because there always must be a way out of this other than mass starvation, extermination of a population, which never works anyway. And an Israeli people who are constantly in a state of high vigilance, constantly waiting for the next terrorist attack, you know, um, and as you say, just a circular terror that goes around and around and around. Um, no, I think, uh, it's, um, it's, I, I, I was thinking, uh, a, a friend of mine used to say, a piece of advice that always stuck with me. His advice was, if you don't know what to do, do nothing. And I always, and uh, it, it's, it's always a bit glib to use sort of, you know, a, you know uh, personal advice when looking at a problem as, as I, as I said, intractable as the Middle East. But I keep thinking about that understandable need and desire in Israel when Hamas launched those attacks. And Hamas are, and like, this is the thing, and we will talk about root cause and we, and we can like, and, and we can get on to talk about what Hamas are hoping to achieve, but like, they're also, they are, uh, it doesn't matter what, you know, if you want to call them a terrorist organization or what, they're also the, 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 the destruction of the, of, of Israel and the death to Jewish people is what they are about. Like and, they, and, and, you know, and, it's, and it's widely supported in Gaza. It's what, I mean, I hear a lot of people saying, and they used to say this about the IRA, but, say like, yeah. oh, nobody supports them, which was, which was a lie, you know, and, and God forgive us. You know, yeah, but, but, but it, yeah, it was a lie. What I was going to say was when, when you have, when that, when that attack happens, when that, there is going to be an understandable, we must, you know, and this is where this line is, Israel has the right to defend themselves comes from. Um, but I think you need to ask yourself again: What does that mean? Because yeah, yeah, exactly. because what does exactly. that mean in a situation where the and and the and because of the way Netanyahu has governed and the people he has gone into alliance with, and you know the worst instincts within, and you know, and and, and a government that appalls many people in Israel, like we've seen the protests in Israel over the last year, it does appall many people in Israel. And this idea then that they must do something, they must do something, and yet, um, what can you do? What can you do in this situation that is only going to violence? And I, violence is the is 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 there is the only response? And, and they've compared. I just wanted. There's. I was. Re, I picked this out. This book out this week because I was. You know, people have been talking about how it's Israel's nine eleven, and I was thinking back. To 9-11, which some of our younger listeners won't remember, but I remember 9-11. And I remember, now we, we didn't have social media then, but I remember there was, you know, there was, there was, 
many commentaries around 9-11, yeah. but the, the, the great tragedy laid upon the tragedy of 9-11 was how America ultimately responded to it. They responded to it by uh, going into Afghanistan first, which after 20 years they had to kind of just get out of, and then even more catastrophically going into Iraq. The destruction of corrupt, but very well run, a very, very well run society, very well educated populace, a largely very peaceful place. Of course, you know, Saddam Hussein was a, was a, 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 a tyrant and an autocrat, you know, who mm. quite happily kill opponents. What's the difference between him and the Saudis? You know, the West are quite happy to be in bed with them. But, but and and the, I think that I think back to when I think of Keir Starmer, Rishi Sunak, the British Prime Minister, and the Prime Minister in waiting, saying this week, "Oh, we are with Israel, whatever." And you know, Keir Starmer's appalling interview where he said this week, which we'll come to, where he said that uh, yes, he thought that Israel had a right to starve the 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 population of Gaza and to indiscriminately attack them. But I think back to Tony Blair's promise to President Bush, we will be with you, whatever, after the destruction of the Twin Towers, terrible atrocity. And in the end, that led to bloodshed and horror in the Iraq war and the loss of hundreds of thousands of precious human lives. Well, that's, and, yeah. and so, you know, the, 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 the rules of the game are relatively simple, but I do think, I do think that it's important just to briefly trace the history of all of all of this, and uh, I think that you know the place to start is where so many problems have begun. I think I know what you're going to say with the British, um, and I mean the uh, British in 1947, United Nations decided to create an Israel, to create a Palestine, and to create a, a neutral zone, if you like, in Jerusalem and Bethlehem. So what happened was, 1948, the end of British rule, Israel's declaration of independence. And the plan was a Jewish state, an Arab state, and an international zone. And um, war ensued. Um, the the uh, Arabs were very unhappy with the terms of the settlement. The Israelis were not particularly enamoured of it. There was a bloody war, a very, very, very bloody war, and Israel was victorious. And by the end of that war, they controlled the UN-designated Jewish state, plus 60%, and this is an important thing to remember, of the UN-designated Arab state, plus part of the neutral zone, the international zone, they took over West Jerusalem. And in the course of that, they ethnically cleansed 700,000 Palestinian Arabs. They were expelled from their homes. It was called the Nakba, which is um, Arabic for a catastrophe. And the UN had dispatched a, 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 a Swedish aristocrat, Fouk Bernadotte, who in fact had sort of a real-life um, hero during the war. He had secured the release of 30,000 Jews from German concentration camps. And he proposed a new partition for Palestine that was slightly more generous to Israel. 
with all the Palestinian refugees who had been expelled in Nakba, granted the right of return. He was assassinated in Jerusalem by militant Jews the day after he had announced the plan. And then, of course, you had the exodus of Jews from all over the world back to their homeland. And a law enacted that any part of Palestine captured in the future by Israel would automatically become part of Israel. And that, that war, that cleansing of Palestinians at the time and taking over more than half of the designated Palestinian territory, the new Arab nation, was a really filthy, dirty war. I mean, the Israelis used biological warfare. They used typhoid bacteria to contaminate the water wells so that the people who had been expelled couldn't come back. And I've got to say, you can understand it. After what happened to the fucking Jews in the Holocaust, the Jewish people, and the jokes about them, and the jokes about them allowing it all to happen, and the, 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 this idea that, that, that they were complacent in their own downfall, which is, which is often said now in sort of right-wing America. The Jews, after World War II, and once they started to get themselves together, no one is going to fuck with us again. And I will yeah. tell you this, my friend, if I was a Jew and I was going back to Israel, I would have been thinking to myself, no one is going to fuck with us again. Six million people exterminated, mm. you know, after what the Nazis did. Brother, the time for fucking diplomacy is over. But, and the yeah. point is this, that I can understand entirely why Israel has become so militaristic and so... Um, you know, hateful in many ways as a state, you know, towards towards uh, the, the, the Palestinian people. But that's where the rule of law comes in, the international law comes in. And it's not good enough for the Western governments, for America, for Joe Biden to say, we are with Israel, whatever. I mean, it's not good enough because it's a green light for genocide. And, and, and let, me, let me, I mean, there have been over 50 United Nations resolutions condemning Israel which is almost 50% of their entire resolutions condemning other parts of the world. And Israel doesn't give a fuck because the US has its back. And, you know, until the United States starts to push for serious negotiations, this is just going to go around and around. I mean, because what does history tell us? You cannot exterminate a people. Simply doesn't work. I mean, the British came to Ireland and they tried to do it. They tried to starve us to death. You know, they butchered us. They, they carried out massacres. You know, and Seamus Heaney's famous phrase, you know, we shook scythes at cannon, you know, mm. and the hillside blushed with our broken waves. You know, every now and again we would rise up and be crushed. You know, um, they reduced us to poverty. And yet we survived. And if you, I mean, all you've got to do is to look at what happened to the Jews themselves. I mean, the, the stated aim of the Nazis was to exterminate an entire people. But people are like rats. We fucking survive. We can live in trenches. During World War I, people go out there and all of a sudden they're lying in rat-infested trenches beside the dismembered bodies of their friends. And this isn't for a few days. You're not going home. 
you're fucking fighting. And if you get gassed, well, there you go. You know, you didn't get your gas mask on in time. And if you get bayoneted in the face, you know, don't worry, because there's a million others who are, you know, who are, who, are, who are experiencing exactly the same fate. I mean, let's look at what happened. I think it's instructive from the perspective of this idea that the, the people of Gaza can be bombed out of existence, that they can be forced to leave and never come back, that they can be exterminated, and that's a way to deal with this. Because it is, it's a solution. I mean, it's one solution. It may be barbaric and inhumane, but it's a solution. But what, what the Nazis did was very similar to what has happened in Gaza. Gaza is blockaded on all sides. On the Egyptian side, that's now been bombed. Um, the Egyptians since 2007 in Israel have blocked it almost entirely. Let's look at the similarities. So the Warsaw Ghetto was established under the sort of the, the, the auspices of collaborate, collaborating Jews and the Nazis. Jewish stars were placed on clothing and houses. They had to wear white armbands. And then they built a wall around the ghetto. Any of this sound familiar? It's exactly what has happened in Gaza, one of the most sophisticated walls in the world, which is underground and overground. The Germans closed the ghetto off to the outside world in November 1940, and 460,000 Jews were essentially in an open prison there. Any of this sound familiar? 2.3 million Gazans in an open prison. Some Jews were granted work permits to come out. Yeah. In Gaza, they're called exit permits. So the Israeli Authority has granted a small number of Gazans, Palestinians in Gaza, exit permits to come out and work in Israel. And the Germans then created what was known as the artificial famine. They eliminated almost all food supplies to the ghetto, prevented medical supplies. Sound familiar? Precisely what has been ordered by the Israeli government. And yet, the inhabitants survive. The Warsaw Ghetto, ghetto was the most unbelievable thing to you. In spite of all of that, they had cultural activities, hospitals, soup kitchens, orphanages. They had recreational facilities. They had classes for the kids. They had a symphony orchestra and they had dances and social events. And I don't know if you've ever read it, but the Canadian historian Tyler Matzeo wrote about it dancing among the corpses. And what it was was an illustration that you cannot exterminate a people because there's something in us in the end of the day that refuses to be fucked with and that will survive in the worst possible circumstances. And then, to the astonishment of the Nazis, in 1943, they actually staged an uprising. They had secretly armed themselves for about a year with handguns. They had stockpiled petrol bombs. They built bunkers and fighting posts. They executed Jewish collaborators. And then they attacked the Nazis. When the Nazis invaded the ghetto, they fought so fiercely that they repelled them. And the, uh, in typ typ typical Hitlerian fashion, the German commander who failed was court-martialed. It's not known what sort of grisly end he came to. Hitler didn't really do sackings, and he was replaced by Heinrich Himmler. Now, eventually, they were overwhelmed by vastly superior German forces. And when they were done, the Nazis, in one last appalling act, destroyed the great synagogue of Warsaw. But what did it fucking do? All it did was create a festering sense of grievance and rage passed down through the generations. 
Israel survived, and Israel has their own homeland now. You know, a very, very modern, let's take aside the, the tyrannies and the oppressions that they practice, a, a highly modern, highly sophisticated education system. I mean, I've been in Israel. Mm, so I mean, it's, 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 it is such a beautiful place. I played basketball there. Now, we were accompanied at all times by two armed security guards, so there's always a sort of a nod to, to, to this heightened vigilance. But we, do, we don't learn. We, we don't learn. I mean, you can't, you're not going to be able to exterminate the Palestinians. And what's going to happen is you continue with this oppression that's been rolling now for 80 years. The sense of grievance gets worse and worse. And it's just like the North. 18 soldiers get bombed in Warren Point. You know, massacres are carried out of civilians in bars. Bombs are exploded there, you know. And it's just going to go on forever until the international community says, as it did with the North, lads, we need to fucking do something different here. Well, that's it, isn't it? The, the, the need to do something different and whether these events can be a point where actually things are done differently or, and and as you say, those signs aren't encouraging that because, again, of this understandable desire to show some show solidarity with ordinary people, you know, babies butchered, you know, hostages, everything, all the horrific scenes, because of this understandable desire to show solidarity with that, there is, again, this sense of we must, well, yeah, we it must. And it becomes, oh, uh, it, becomes, it becomes a sort of a yaboo game. And Rob, people, Rob, instead of saying, look, you know, as Tony Benn famously said, you know, do Israeli mothers not weep? I know. Do Palestinian mothers not yeah. weep? Do they not bleed? Do they not mourn for their children and their loved ones? I went down to the shelter in Thames House. Every morning I saw Dockland burning. 500 people were killed in Westminster one night by a landmine. It was terrifying. Aren't Arabs terrified? Aren't Iraqis terrified? Don't Arab and Iraqi women weep when their children die? Doesn't bombing strengthen their determination? What fools we are to live in a generation for which war is a computer game for our children and just an interesting little channel for news items. And the slow, as you say, and also the slow, and not so slow, but the steady erosion of, uh, you know, a you know, steady... Um, you know, increase in settler camps in in Palestinian areas, and this kind of increase in these things that are happening in the West Bank, and then you know, as you say, what happens, what is going on in Gaza, um, which is which is just atrocious, is atrocious. and an it's, ongoing. It's been a human rights catastrophe you know, for 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 for, 50 for a long years. time, and um, and it's funny you mentioned uh, Peter O'Born because Peter Peter who we will have, like Peter knows uh, Israel and Palestine, like very few journalists in the West, like he really does. And he actually rang me a couple of weeks ago because he was working on a story and he called me because he wanted some information to do with a story he was working on for Middle East Eye, where he writes on how the Israelis have blocked a British politician he was working on, but also Michal Martin when he was in Israel for visiting a, a village, a Palestinian village, in the area C, which has been uh, really affected by increased settler violence. And the Israelis wouldn't allow Michal Martin to go because they felt it would lead to what they called an escalation, for which they meant violence. So this 
this village where horrific things had happened. Um, uh, Ein Samaya, this village, they, they weren't, the Israelis weren't allowing, and I think a number of politicians who had visited, uh, and, and Peter told me this, he said, Miho Martin. It's, it's his like under, North Korea. He, so Peter, his, his understanding was that they'd been, they'd pushed back against this Israeli, um, insistence and they tried to go, but they were, the Israelis wouldn't allow them to go. James Cleverly, the foreign secretary in, in Britain, wasn't allowed to go either. He didn't say anything about it, but Peter just wanted some information when he was talking to me and he published the story. But again, you know, he, Peter, and I'll, I'll, I'll confess my own ignorance about this. You know, Peter said to me, look up that village, yeah. look up this, this, this is, this is a story that was published last the, week. These, this is the 3rd of October. The, these massacres are, are but, so constant. But he said, look this, up this, this year already, there have been several massacres. Yeah. I mean, Oborn wrote this week, Israel's right to self-defense does not extend to wiping out entire neighborhoods, medieval siege, random slaughter of children, or damaging water supplies. Yet Western leaders are going along with all of this. And, you know, it was the springboard for which what was really a very difficult piece to read was a tweet by the Palestinian playwright Sama Sabawi, who tweeted, I told my family in Gaza to get out when I heard reports the United States is coordinating a plan to offer safe passage for civilians out of Gaza into Egypt. My auntie said to me, do you guarantee we would be allowed to return? And I could not. I know ethnic cleansing when I see it. She refused to leave. She told me death or eternal refugehood which would you choose? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And you know, this comes back to the point that we simply cannot. obliterate a people. I mean, that's one of the, the, the very disturbing facets of this. And I think it's important for the world order as well, because we see how destabilized America has become by hatefulness now and, you know, 
this sort of very polarized, hateful politics. And we see it in its infancy here with some of our senators and some of this, this hate movement that's, that's growing and that, that is funded by dark money. I mean, but this idea that the Palestinian is, a, is an animal, you know, is an untermensch. Now, there you go. The Jews, Joseph Goebbels started with the untermensch. Rats, they were called. And the, um, you've, you've spoken about her before. I'm just trying to think of her name. The Nazi filmmaker. Oh, um, right, he, right. Um, anyway, used to, you know, what would happen in the cinemas was that there would be subliminal messaging. Lady Reifenstahl. Aye, Reifenstahl. And the, the, uh, there was subliminal messaging, you know, of hordes of rats. And the idea was to equate the rat with the Jew. Until eventually, the Jew was so dehumanized that ordinary people could just casually shoot them. Ordinary German soldiers could shoot them in the face. You know, could, could just stab a woman to death, could kill a child, could load them into, load them into execution chambers and, you know, pull the, pull the lever and then go out and have a cup of tea and a smoke. And, you know, the next batch are coming along in half an hour. And in astonishing echoes of the past, I mean, Mosh Yalon, who's the former Israeli defense minister, he said, the Palestinian harbors cancer-like attributes that have to be severed. Imagine somebody saying that about us. There are many solutions to cancer. Some say it is necessary to amputate organs, but at the moment I think we should apply chemotherapy. I let Shaked, the Israeli Minister for Justice. The Palestinians should go, as should the physical homes in which they raise their snakes. Otherwise, more little snakes will be raised there. And then just a few days ago, Yoav Galant, who's the Israeli Defence Minister, I've ordered a complete siege on Gaza. No food, no electricity, no fuel, no water. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals and we act accordingly. And this dehumanization is a very important part of what Israel is doing so that people in Israel, you know, who will understandably be enraged by the horrendous massacre of the innocents carried out by Hamas, will say, okay, we'll go along with this, you know, because, I mean, it's a highly educated country. I've been there, you know, and it's a, it's a country where people sit outside at cafes and, and, and have serious discussions about the world and think about things. And we'll come in due course during the course of these episodes to a vein in Israeli society which is constantly warning Israel itself about the path that it's on. But the when you've got someone like Netanyahu, who's a complete charlatan, a really nasty piece of work, he's currently on trial for fraud in relation to his political maneuverings. And, and, and is, you know, is your classic Putin, your classic Donald Trump. Um, his warning to the two million Palestinians who live in that sort of open prison to get out is the inevitable expression of apartheid. And that can only come once you've dehumanized an entire people. The, the, the Palestinian-American writer, the very celebrated writer, Rafat al-Dajani, he wrote, 
The dehumanization of Palestinians is based on two things widely held amongst Western media. Palestinians are violent because of who they are, because of something intrinsic in their nature and culture, not because of the oppression and violence of the Israeli occupation. And I pause to say, this is how Northern Catholics were characterized. Genocidal savages who were only interested and who were interested in religious war against the Protestant, you know, who were um, subhuman and were not reacting to oppression and violence, which was benign oppression, you know, and benign violence when it was required. And Dajani goes on to say that once you've convinced Israeli people that Palestinians lack basic standards of morality, then the only way to interact with them is through the use of force, whether state-sponsored force by the Israeli security forces or non-state actors like the Israeli settlers who are currently completely out of control. Force is the only language these subhumans understand. And that's... I mean, that's what's happening. That's that's the language. But it's also of of, of of people in the Israeli cabinet and the prime minister. Yeah, but it's also again shows the folly of reacting and responding because I think uh, like Hamas's desire for um, Hamas's like there may be only the only people who may who may want an extreme disproportionate response more than the kind of right-wing fundamentalists in Israel are, are the leadership of Hamas who want a response that again justifies and then justifies their own desire to exterminate Jewish people. And like, you know, this is the thing, uh, there was a, a British general, uh, former MI6 chief speaking, and he said, you know, I absolutely understand and endorse Israel's right to defend themselves, but here's the thing. You shouldn't do what you en- your enemy wants you to do. It's really obvious now yeah. that Hamas is essentially laying a trap for Israel, and the fact that the fact that they were so they were they were caught by surprise by this means that they are just going to walk into this into this trap that, as you say, is just going to lead unless unless there is international. Unless there is international, Joe, unless there is an international attempt, and as you rightly say, Ireland is one of the few countries in this who are saying, restrained, restrained, unless you actually... Obey obey the law. Yeah, but... Obey the law. I mean, how lucky are we? I was talking talking about this week to a friend. How lucky are we, you know, Irish people, to live in a country that is so multicultural, progressive, peaceful, prosperous, Hmm. you know, where, where we can walk through the streets in peace and dignity, you know, you go back, you go back, sort of a hundred years, to the midst of the horrors of the civil war here, you know, following hot on the heels of the war of independence, and people must have been thinking then, in the bombed out buildings and in the devastation, Jesus Christ, we are living in a fucking nightmare. How is this ever going to end? Look at the north, a nightmare. I mean, we had Peter Taylor in, you know, the full horrors of that. And it's clear, you know, that Peter himself will never fully recover from all the things that he saw there. And we thought at the time, I mean, during the 80s, like the prospect of a peace is just not going to happen. We're just going to keep killing each other and it's going to get worse and worse and more people are going to die and the body count's going to pile up and then the kids are going to be blown to pieces. You know, and we're going to have bombing campaigns in Warrington and Birmingham and Manchester 
you know, and we're just going to try and bomb our way to success. Meanwhile, you know, the Brits and the, the, the Unionists thought, well, look, we're just going to oppress these people and fuck them until eventually they're going to have to surrender and fucking give up. Human beings aren't like that. But look at us now. But the North, one of the most peaceful places in the world. Mm. And so, look, it's, it's all possible. I mean, I can understand in Israel now a great bloodlust. Yeah. I mean, a thousand. But also a great fear. You know, there's a great fear on all sides. Like, it's the same thing. It's, you know, which, which again, both sides... <laughs> And it is one of again one of those rare is where you have to say like you know there is there is a extremism everywhere here is is the enemy and then the fear that is the fear of the people in Gaza at the moment is is matched by the fear of the people in the, in those uh, see neither the thing is that neither side think they're being extreme they think it's a righteous yeah. and emotional and fair and just response. And that's why, you know, I think it was, it was uh, Jack Nicholson said once famously that human beings are animals with clothes on, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose he should know he had an underground tunnel built from his Hollywood lair to the bunny match. But, you know, it, what he meant by that was that, you know, unless we are restrained by rules and laws, we are capable of anything. I mean, we are capable of the vilest cruelty the vilest violence. And, I mean, I think it's interesting to, to, to understand what international law actually says about this. I mean, you've got I'll start with this. You've got Keir Starmer, you have world leaders encouraging Armageddon, essentially implicitly giving the green light to it. Keir Starmer on LBC this week. Is it acceptable for Israel to withhold power and water from citizens in Gaza? Answer, I think Israel does have that right. A siege is appropriate? Cutting off power? Cutting off water? I think that Israel does have that Right, it is an ongoing situation. This man was the director of public prosecutions, and he knows that it is a most flagrant breach of international law and a war crime. These, these remarks can only be interpreted in one way by Israel. Well, look, we can go in here. This is a green light for future war crimes. Um, they've already, they've already killed over four hundred Palestinian children in Gaza. Uh, with the bombardment, they're now preparing to put feet on the ground. I mean, that's just going to be Armageddon. Rishi Sunak, he said, I give my unequivocal support to Israel. Suella Braverman said that waving a Palestinian flag could be made a criminal offence. Well, I, I mean, would and, say... And, and I, look, I look to, you know, the European Union, Ursula von der Leyen, you know, they light up the parliament in the Israeli colours. They, ne- they don't light it up in Palestinian colours. They've never throughout all of the oppression. And we'll come to the numbers game about deaths in due course to see how this military superpower is bullying and crushing and killing on a daily basis. This, this, this 
Palestinian peasantry, which is what it is, and this idea that there can be some equivalence between the enormous, you know, terrifying arsenal that the Israelis possess, including nuclear weapons, against these um, guys who burst through, burst through the wall in an old bulldozer and went, went on the rampage with AK-47s. Oh. And this is what people are always going to do. It doesn't really matter that, that Israel have overwhelming fire. I mean, the Americans went into Vietnam and they thought, okay, look, we have overwhelming superiority. We are going to fucking take these people out. We're going to fucking napalm them. We're going to burn them out of it. We're going to fucking, we are going to shock and all these motherfuckers and they will not know what has hit them. And what started to happen? These primitive peoples, as they were described by the Americans, these savages, well, you know, they laid traps for them in the forests. They laid their lives down. They said, you know, we're going to die. Just like Hamaster saying, we're going to die. You know, we know we're going to die. Just like the hunger strikers did in the north. We know we're going to fucking die. We're going to do it anyway. Because there's nothing else to be done. There's nowhere else for us to go. We're desperate. So this is what we're going to do. And what happened in Vietnam? Eventually, after hundreds of thousands of precious human lives were lost, including American soldiers, you know, they were pulled out because it was unwinnable and it was going to go on forever. And we've seen it across the world. You know, and yet, this is where we are. Ursula von der Leyen addressing the, Euro the European Union Parliament. These attacks against civilian infrastructure, especially electricity, are war crimes. Cutting off men, women, children of water, electricity and heating with winter coming, these are acts of pure terror. They are war crimes and we have to call them as such. She was talking about Russia's attacks on Ukraine in October last year. This year, we stand with Israel. We stand with Israel. It's a green light. Vladimir Zelensky, 2022, there must be no famine. The right for food and clean water should be the basic human right. It must be a global goal, a fucking global goal. Anyone who tries to deprive people of food or water is an enemy to humanity. We must defeat these enemies together. Ukraine must be helped, and our partners will help us to do that. And now he's making a visit to Israel to tell them that he's standing with them to exterminate fucking a, 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 a defenseless population. Bombing half their hospitals. Electricity has had to be, electricity has had to be removed from vital services and hospitals. They've run out of fuel. Um, there was, there's a book called Avoiding the Terrorist Trap by a man called Tom Parker. And he was tweeting this last week about this. I disagree with that premise, I have to say. I well, don't think, well, let me just read it. Think, let me read it. I don't think a terrorist trap has been created. I think that what's happening there is Hamas have well, armed themselves. The, the massacres have been ongoing this year. Last year, more Palestinian were, children were killed than since the foundation of the state. Well, yeah. I, well, and and as, 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 and we'll come to this, I think, in, in the second episode that we're going to do, Haaretz is the... Newspaper of record in Israel. It's your sort of guardian. It's your mm. Irish Times. Um, not as posh as the Irish Times. But Haaretz is your newspaper of record. 
and will come to the honesty and courage of their journalists yeah, through, no, this, I've, I've, through this. Through this, has been a journalist. One journalist in particular. Well, I mean, writing. there's there's, there's loads of them, you know. Um, but uh, but uh, no, but I, I I I look. I think. Um. I I think we have to be careful when you say that it's like this is the what what Hamas has done is is somehow. Uh, there is no alternative to what they have done. There's right? none. They're, they're going to keep... Joe, there is. Tell me. Tell me what it is. There's, there's, there's no alternative to, to let, the butchering of, of let your Let, your, home, the, let the, your let your homes be bulldozed. Right? But, there, but let, let, Just bear with me no, for no, a no, second. Just me bear finish, with me, me for a second. But I think, I think there's, there's, there is a position to take where you can be appalled pro the Palestinian cause and yet anti-Hamas. Like anti... what? Because Hamas stand for more than just... Uh, Palestine rights. They stand for they are they are an anti-Semitic, uh, murderous organization. They are not um, a heroic organization. They who said who said they were heroic? It was nothing heroic about murder. No, there was nothing heroic about Dara, for example. But, but it's going to fucking happen until you until you change the conditions of oppression. Until people have a civilized life are allowed and that, and are and allowed to live that, in peace. And that is true. But when 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 certain acts take place, you see. I think this is the problem. People, people, you know, you you saw this in the, in the response in the in the initial stage where people were talking about I support you know the right of colonized people to rise up, and then you know as the details of this emerge, there are people uh, you know backtracking on that, and then you get into this uh, surreal macabre situation where people are having arguments on social media about how babies were killed. You know that's that's how. That's where some of this, where some of these kind of fundamentalist positions and and fundament, fundamentalist points of view take you. But when you say, like, and you, know, you go back, I, I I said it to you this week, Pat Buchanan, uh, the 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 old you know the 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 right wing Republican leader in two thousand and nine. There's a clip going around on, on this week talking about how the 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 the. the the, the Israeli attacks on Gaza will send people into the arms of, of, of Hamas. The Israelis have been hit with for six months with these little rockets, which didn't kill anybody. It was outrageous, cruel, and stupid. And they triggered a blitzkrieg against the Palestinians in Gaza, which in my judgment is an Israeli concentration camp where a million and a half people are locked up, cannot come out or go in. They've been controlling food, electricity, fuel, and the innocent people in Gaza are the ones suffering. Concentration camp, Pat, doesn't that diminish the significance of the real concentration camp? No, I'm not talking about on? a death camp. I'm talking about what the British had in concentration camps in, in South Africa and what the Spanish had in Cuba and what others have had where they bring all these people, lock them in there and treat them with great cruelty and a, and a humanitarian disaster despite what Zippy Livni says. Well, what do you, let me tell you, i tell you how you create people for Hamas. You kill 675 people, you wound and injure 3,000. What do you think the brothers and sisters, those five little girls that died, what are they going to be when they grow up? And, like, there is no... The day after Bloody Sunday, young boys yeah, were killed up around the block. That's, that's what Peter, the area, Peter Taylor yeah. told us. Um, and you yet, and yet multipl the... multiply that oppression by a thousand in Gaza. But, yeah. Because I mean, they, they, are, they are, you know, they are a group of people who have been systematically... Subjected to, you know, torture, murder, you know, the absolute contempt of the rule of law, um, treated 
really treated like animals, and that's been reflected in 50 United Nations resolutions condemning them. I mean, I mean, beat Slim, the Israeli human rights group. Okay, they're the most prominent human rights group in Israel. They have just yesterday accused Israel of committing war crimes in Gaza, and they've called what they're doing a criminal policy of revenge and genocide. And uh, they said that Netanyahu's command for Gaza's residents to leave now, like, fuck off, get out, that'll, that'll do the job, you know. They've called it a farce with no bearing on reality. The United Nations have called it an outrage and said, how can we evacuate 1.1 million people through the southern strip that's going to be left open in the space of two or three days? The Gaza Strip, they said, is closed off on all sides. The residents have no way out. There are no shelters and no way to seek cover from airstrikes. And now the famine is about to begin. They're running out of food and water. The famine's about to begin. And, um, I mean, on that on that terribly gloomy note, and I don't know that there's any other way to discuss this issue, um, just say thanks for listening to this. I know it hasn't been easy listening, and there'll be all sorts of views around it, but we'll pick this up in the next episode on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs>